morning, everyone, and praise the Lord once again. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We are called to be transformed from one degree of glory to another, through and by the Holy Spirit. The key expression in this song is look full. Look full. Because we are called to not full as in F-O-O-L, no. Full as completeness. Look full to Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim. Strangely. Everybody is attracted by what is going on. But as we look to Jesus and we are made into more Christ-likeness. I like that in English. And these things of the world lose their attraction and grip on us. I remember one day, Brother Joseph was preaching, and you had that wonderful picture of the globe with, you know, very hot, and someone with, you know, his cutlery enjoying that. And that was a poison. Look full to his wonderful face. And the things of this, that's the only way. Loving Father, we bless you as we come together again to look into your words. We bless your name, Lord, and we are so grateful for the salvation and the redemption of our souls that is costly. Oh, it pleased Yahweh to bruise his only begotten son. And when he died and cried out, it is finished, he had all of us in his minds. He's the savior of the world, the light of the world, the glory of Israel, the savior of our souls. We bless you, O oh Lord. As we are gathered in this place, we pray, O oh good, great, true, and chief shepherd of our souls, we pray that, Lord, you open the eyes of our understanding in our hearts. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us, Lord, and reveal to us the Father's heart and will for a godly edification to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> perilous men for perilous times. Part two. Lovers of money. Last time we looked at um, the self, love of themselves, and the second trait, characteristic key feature of the end time will be covetousness, cupidity, greediness, love of money. The Greek word translates into lovers of money is actually covetous. People will be covetous. People will be fond of silver. Lovers of silver, coins. We will have quite a few readings today, maybe six or seven, God willing. So let's go and read our first readings, three of them. The first one is the main, the same as last time. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. That's Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. <clears throat> but know this, that in the last day, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, 
disobedient to parent, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despised of goods. Verse 4, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Second reading, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 to 3. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from food. In King James Version, he says, abstain from meats. Which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. People will be lovers of money. First Corinthians chapter 6. Now, sorry. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kind of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I read again. For the love of money is a root of all kind of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. As we mentioned previously, the kind of love the Bible is talking about here is not just a passing sentiment or feeling or inclination for something now. These are love of things in lieu of God. It's actually worship, that's what it is. It's not just loving your salary, you know, to have it now. These are philosophies, these are things demonically inspired, where people will be worshippers of wealth, riches, and themselves. The last days means... The days before the second coming of Jesus Christ. The word perilous means dangerous, unsafe, hazardous, terrifying. So as we get nearer to the Lord's coming, we should expect the world to become more dangerous, unsafe, and terrifying. The Bible speaks of the beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs before the baby is born. Tony Pierce often says, when the birth bank starts, the baby will come. It won't go the other way. So as these things come, as there is an increase in iniquity or lawlessness, that points to the coming of Jesus Christ. It won't go down, it will go up. The Bible speaks of increase in iniquity. Increase. So it is a deception to think that things will go back and then... Uh, now, that's what the Bible says. We don't need the BBC to know where we're going. The Bible has the full plan of God and what is happening. I'm not surprised when things come from bad to worse. It is foretold in the Bible. I'm not happy about that, but the Bible says when you see these things begin to happen, lift up your head for your redemption draws near. Perilous time in the last days. Let me see if I can say this. Perilous time produce perilous men who promote perilous times. Perilous times produce perilous men who promote perilous times. 
in Luke 21, 25, the Bible speaks of the coming of distress of nation with perplexity. Another global trait and feature of this world just before Jesus Christ returns. Distress of nations and perplexity. This implies a crisis with no way out. The Bible prophesies times of war, violence, persecution of believers, and abundance of wickedness or lawlessness. Matthew 24, verse 12. The Lord said it would be as it was in the days of Noah, according to the account of the time before the flood, as recorded in Genesis chapter 6. Luke 17, verse 26 to 30. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When you put those two pictures together, it's all about material things. Riches, selling, buying, making profit, building, etc. So that will be the f- main, one of the key features of the end time before Christ comes. So that's what we're talking about. That's what Paul was telling Timothy about. People will be lovers of man. No room. No time for God. In fact, in Genesis 6, 5 and 12, wickedness was great upon the earth. Every intent. In the King James Version, I think it says every imagination. Imagination. I prefer that. Remember the inventors of evil mentioned in Romans 1. Inventors. An inventor is a person who brings ideas or objects together in a new way to create something that did not exist. That's an inventor. It's the same as imagination. It's something new. It's a new idea. In fact, in Hebrew, the word for imagination is yeitzah, I think pronounced correctly, Y-E-T-S-E-R. Not only means imagination, but also purposes and desire. So imagination in this context, as it was in Genesis 6, and inventors in Romans 1, seems to be the same, the mindset. In fact, the Bible speaks of people of the evil-mindedness. What do inventors do? They produce things in order to sell them. Now, these people will be inventing evil. In order to invent evil, there has to be a market for that. Now, the market is the evil-mindedness. So the world is being conditioned to accept without reservation all the new findings of evil. Because of the evil-mindedness of people. Completely darkened inside. No break. Everything goes. Woe unto those who call evil good and good evil. Today we will focus on another key feature of the last days, love of money. 
Let us look at something first. Is God against rich people or wealth? Is God against rich people or wealth? In Matthew 19, verse 24, we have this statement from the Lord. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. A rich man in this passage is someone who loves his riches and makes an idol out of them. Yet Christianity is about loving God above any and everything else. See Luke 10, verse 27. Still, a person may have huge wealth and not feel the need for idolizing it. However, as a poor man, a poor man may have little and love that little more than God. <laughs> However, a rich man seems to have more difficulties. For example, great wealth can entertain pride and provide a false sense of sufficiency and security. It also fills the mind with cares and anxieties and leaves very little room for God. It often produces luxury, dissipation, and vice. And quite often, great wealth is obtained in unrighteousness. That is selfishness, covetousness, fraud, and oppression. However, in Matthew 19, verse 26, the Lord reassured the disciple. Because when the Lord gave that account and that, made that statement about the rich, the disciple marveled. So, there's no hope for rich people then. So, who can be saved then? In Matthew 19, verse 26, the Lord reassured the disciple that Though to men it seems impossible for rich people to be saved, it is possible for God. So the Lord is not against rich or successful people in this life, where they have acquired their wealth honestly and through hard work. Some verses such as Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God may at first give the impression that poor people have a comparative advantage over rich people in the matter of salvation. However, there are poor people who hate God with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength, and all their minds, and are extremely bitter against God. So they don't have any comparative advantage when it comes to salvation. Everybody on the same basis matter of heart. Let me read that again. It's nice. There are poor people who hate God with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength, and all their mind, and are perfectly bitter against God. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, we read this. That's Matthew 27, 57. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He was a rich man, had become a disciple of Jesus. There's no comparative advantage when it comes to salvation. Everybody on the same ground. Everybody. So what is the problem then? Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. 
Luke chapter 12 and we read from verse 15. Luke chapter 12 verse 15 to 21. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. Verse 19. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Verse 21. So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the problem. The problem is not being rich or wealth. The problem is attitude to wealth. Being rich towards God. In French, être riche pour Dieu. Be rich for God. Esther was beautiful for God. David was handsome for God. Samson was strong for God. Joshua was skilled for God. Is not rich toward God. He's not rich for God. For himself. See the idea of self-worship there? He's speaking to his soul. Not even giving glory to God. That's what we're talking about. That's the kind of love the Bible is talking about in the end time. No room for God. So, verse 15. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. In French he said, even in the abundance, your life does not depend on what you have. And what shall it profit to a man if he earn gain the whole world and loses his soul? That's the alternative. Life belongs to God. Verse 19. This rich man exalted himself as if he had total control over his life. But it is the Lord who has the final say. The Lord God is worthy of our worship and glory. Verse 21. He laid up treasures for himself and he was not rich. Toward God. The Bible asks this question. What do you have that you did not receive? What? If you're a successful person, if you're a rich person, if you're a skilled person, think of seven billion of people in this world. And glorify God. We brought nothing in this earth and we shall take nothing. Out of seven billion people, if you're doing quite well in life, bless God. It's God who gives you the breath and the strength, the movement and the being to go to work. A functioning heart, a good health is God. For there is a spirit in a man, the breath of the Almighty, that gives understanding. Job 32, verse 8. Even when we think we are too clever, wiser, and more intelligent, it is God who does that. 
being rich towards God is the problem. So, what does it mean to be rich towards God then? Please turn with me to 1 Timothy again. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we read from verse 17. That 1 Timothy chapter 6 from verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the times to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That is being rich toward God. It seems to me that as Paul was instructing Timothy in this way, it looks like there were rich people in the church. That Timothy had to give them this teaching so they understand what it means to be rich toward God. I don't think he was going everywhere in the world telling every Bill Gates he found, you know, this is how it... No. Lay hold of eternal life you have. This is how you should use your wealth. That's what it means to be rich toward God. And we see in the New Testament church, those who had more shared with others. Go to share. What does it say here? To give, but also to be willing to share. Those are two different things. There is giving and there is sharing. The day we go, we take nothing with us. But as we serve the Lord, as we are being rich for God, we are storing up for time to come. In due course, we shall reap. Accumulation, accumulation, accumulation. Look around you. God has given us eyes to see where there is a need to help. Well, it's fair to say that sometimes it's uh, very difficult to give. You go to give someone, they say, no, no, I don't need it. And you feel, oh, I did not discern well. So giving is very difficult as well in these days. Because I don't want it. No, 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 I'm okay. The God has convinced me to give you the... No, 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 I'm okay, I'm okay. Problems everywhere. Receiving and giving, problems. First Corinthians 4, 7 has the following question for us. First Corinthians 4, 7. For... Who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did receive indeed, why do you boast as if you had not received? You see, Paul tells Timothy to tell the rich people of this not to be haughty, pride, arrogance. Now, what do you have? that you did not receive. The breath of life, the strength, working body, working mind, thinking, what do you have that you did not receive? If you are here, don't look at people like this, that haughty now. Let's be humble, 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 and be rich for God and beautiful for God, and strong and skilled and talented for God, because it's God who gives those things.
Whenever I say rich, you can replace with anything. You can put beauty. Put beauty. You can put strength. You can put talent. Put everything. We should not put our trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. We need to remain humble, not to be haughty, to do good and be rich in good work, ready to give and willing to share. Sharing is a very serious and sustained activity. It goes far beyond giving, just giving. Storing up a good foundation for the time to come while laying hold on eternal life. That is what it means by being rich toward God. Next reading. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and we read from verse 9 to 14. That Luke 16, 9 to 14. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an an, an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, Who will give you what is your own? 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Verse 14. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. God in the heart because they were lovers of money. You cannot serve God and mammon or unrighteous uncertain riches of this earth. Make friend for yourself by unrighteous mammon. Does that mean we can go and uh, break a bank and steal in order to fund a missionary work? Make friend with unrighteous money? No. Unrighteous mammon is uncertain and perishable riches of this world. That's what it is. By the way, we work for people. We work for people who hold capitals, capitalists, owners, the people who have money, who created employment. Many of them are Freemasons. Many of them are under the sway of the enemy, most of them. Most of them oppress the poor with exorbitant interest rates, etc. Yet we work for them and they pay us a salary. With that salary, we have to put it to good cause with God. That's what it means. That is unrighteous, mammon. The riches of this earth. Use that and make friends that you will find in eternity. Good work. Funding evangelists, missionary, supporting the work of the Lord, etc., helping the needy, etc., what we've seen in First Timothy six, seventeen to nineteen. But overall, those riches are unrighteous because of what I've just explained to you. Some of the money came from slave trades and has been changed. What's the expression? Uh 
Thank you very much. Blanchissement de l'argent. Making it white. Money laundering. It comes from very doubtful sources. It's changed and then it appears to be righteous. And we work and they pay us. But it's not righteous. But we are paid because we work and with that let us put to a good cause according to what the Bible says. Make friend for yourself by unrighteous mammon. Verse 11. Being faithful in the unrighteous mammon. Now, in verse 11, there is a contrast between unrighteous mammon versus true riches. See, the Lord makes a difference between earthly and uncertain perishable wealth of this earth and what he calls true Riches that will never wane, disappear, never. Now, what is being faithful in unrighteous mammon? If you are un unfaithful in unrighteous mammon, how would you be given true riches? It's a matter of testimony. A Christian is not a thief. No. A Christian does not steal at work. A Christian should be the most reliable person. Even in this uncertain, perishable riches. If one is unfaithful in uncertain, perishable riches... How would he be given true riches in other words? How can you say you've been blessed with all kind of blessing in the heavenly places in Christ and be a thief, croaked person? How? Impossible. It's a matter of testimony. Now, a Christian is an honest person. High integrity. People should not think twice for keeping their money into your custody or your trust. Now, above suspicion, Christian. A Christian does not dodge overstate an invoice when I'm a self-employed, you don't do that. And you pay your taxes. And you don't cheat with tax credit and child benefit. There is a cost to Christianity. If therefore we are not faithful in these unrighteous riches, how much more in true riches in other way, how can we profess that we've been blessed with all kind of riches in heaven and be unfaithful in things of this world? A Christian should not cheat. A Christian does not steal at work. Now, many, many years ago, there was a, co a court case of an accountant bookkeeper who was taken to court because she had stolen money from the petty cash team. She stole one pound per day. One pound per day. I don't know how she did that. So at the end of the day, the month, there was always a shortfall of 30 pounds, about 30 pounds, let's say 26, 21, 21 working days. Sorry, Rachel, we're talking accountants here <laughs> and payroll. Let's say 21 pounds every month, stealing one. And when the manager will come and reconcile the petty cash team, and oh, what is this, this 21? Oh, we don't know, maybe... Oh, maybe it's IOU. Someone did not submit the receipt, etc., and it passes. And now do 21 times 12. That's how she did it. She was severely punished, and the statement on the BBC said 
she was a Sunday school teacher. And that increased the sentence on her. Sunday school teacher. Stealing one pound per day in the BBC. What about the crisis of the cooperative banks a few years ago? I think the I think the chair of the board was caught up in very, very dodgy practice. He was an elder in a Methodist church. And that was stated publicly. In which sense that glorifies God? That's what we're talking about. We have to glorify Christ. There is a cost. Turn your eyes upon Jesus for deliverance. Verse 13. Is it God or mammon or both? It's only one. It's either God or mammon, but not both. It's impossible. We now face alternative choice, God or mammon, as it's all about service and worship. That's what it means. To God be the glory and worship because he is our creator, the creator of this world, the creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, and all that is in it. Only worthy of being worshipped. Jesus Christ said you cannot serve. You know, a service, worship, a reasonable service in Romans 12, that's worship. You cannot worship God and worship riches and wealth like that man. Oh, my soul be merry. So, Jesus Christ does not use the word mam. When I checked, I was preparing, and I checked with few people, and I say, what is mammon? If you ask anybody, what is mammon? The answer is the God of riches. Is an idol. Is the God of wealth. But when Jesus Christ used the word mammon here, that's not how he used it. No. He did not use it in a pejorative sense. No. He just referred to earthly riches. Just riches. That it, that's what it is. However, the Lord warned of the danger of idolizing mammon. See, toward the end of his discourse now, he's warning people of the danger of having the alternative choice and bringing God down at the same level as an alternative choice. He warned of that danger. That is back when he spoke these words. Idolizing mammon means loving greatly and excessively one's riches that amount to worship. Mammon in a biblical term is a biblical term for riches, unrighteous riches, uncertain, perishable riches of this world, often used to describe the degrading, degrading or debasing influence of material wealth. Medieval writers commonly interpreted mammon as an evil demon or God. That's where he starts. Maybe the Lord knew that already. He didn't need to watch the, the Middle Age. Since the 16th century, mammon has been used to negatively describe the pursuit of wealth and has been used in both religious and secular contexts. Demon of greed, all-consuming pursuit of, of wealth, seductive gods of riches. What does the Bible say? As sojourners and pilgrims, the Bible commands us to abstain from fleshly lust, 
which war against the soul. The Bible also says godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Contentment, godliness with contentment. Not godliness with greediness and cupidity. Godliness with contentment. The Bible says what? It's great gain. Gives security. Not to appreciate what God has given and gives you. People will be lovers of money. As God's lovers, we are called to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth, Colossians 3.2, and to not be cheated through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Philosophy. Philosophy. I'm not going to expound on it because otherwise uh, uh, my economy status will influence things. We can say a lot. Uh, speaking under the control of Trinity, John Maynard Keynes, the general theory of employment, money, and interest. Remember that? <laughs> You can just spend. Earn money, spend it all. Eat and drink for tomorrow. We dead. Remember your syllabus? Short term model. Yeah? Good. Live just for now. Don't worry about saving. That is in the 30s, 1930s, that he wrote that. The effect of that is being seen today, which people call consumerists. Spend, spend, spend. If you don't have money, use your credit card. Just spend, live to spend. It doesn't matter whether you accumulate debts, it doesn't matter. That is called consumerism. That John Maynard Keynes, who was a, a promiscuous immoralists. You can visit his residence in Bloomsbury there. He said if people don't have work, the government should employ them just to dig holes and trenches and refill them and gain salary so that they can spend. It's all about spending. Whether it's individual spending or government spending, do you remember that G? Thank you. Government spending, the government should just spend, spend, spend and jeopardize future generations. That's a problem. Let's leave economic there. People will be lovers of money. As we conclude, oh, that's good. As we conclude this teaching, Let's listen to what one of the richest men in history called Solomon declared in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 14 says that the weight of gold that came to Solomon every year was 666 talent of God, of gold. Well, that may not mean great thing for you. 666 talent of gold. Let's examine that. To give you an idea of what this would represent today, the weight of one talent of gold today is 34 kilos of gold. In the parable of talents, when he speaks of one talent, people think it's one coin. That's what people think. It is a lot of money. So one talent today represents 34 kilos of gold with a value estimated at $2 million, one talent. 
Therefore, the value of gold Solomon received each year is estimated at $45 billion. In today's value. And that is beside what came from other sources because he received riches from, you know, merchants, he received from travelers, he received from uh, 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 kings of Arabia, he received from everywhere. So this calculation here excludes, well, I can't help with economics and accounting this morning, exclude all the other sources of income. All his drinking vessels were gold. King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. He made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. Now, the marketwatch.com has an article. Richest men in history, Vladimir Putin, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett aren't even close to Solomon. To give you an idea, before I say what he said. Because if a poor person says that, vanity, everything is vanity, say, you don't know the wonder of money. You don't understand what it means to have a beautiful wife and a you know, unprecedented building. You don't know. But if Solomon says that, we should pay attention. According to the marketwatch.com, to put Solomon's wealth in perspective, he was worth around $2.2 trillion dollars. In today's money, that is equal to the combined net worth of 400 richest American people, according to the Forbes list. So that list, the 400 first richest people in America. And these researchers here are saying, combine all 400 of them, that was Solomon riches. So. This Solomon declared. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping of the wind. Huh? Why we should listen if Solomon is talking, he's saying that. Someone says, not being rich towards God is as grave as someone desperately desiring to be rich as his supreme purpose. That too is worshipping riches without having it. And indeed all was vanity and grasping of the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 11. He goes on to say, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. No, he who loves abundance with increase. He always wants more, 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 more. This also is vanity. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Job, who was also very rich, declared, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. Proper attitude towards riches. God is not against rich people or wealth. But it's man's attitude towards riches. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul blessed the God and Father of our Lord Jesus who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ true riches. Believers should be the first to understand this and behave accordingly. To the church of Laodicea, the Lord said, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, 
and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye self that you may see. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. But to the church of Smyrna, the Lord said, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Poor to the uncertain and unrighteous mammon, but rich in spiritual things toward God. By God's standard and from his perspective. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. A true story of a man from the Ivory Coast. He came in this country and worked very hard. He needed four 40,000 pounds in order to build a house in his country. And he worked four jobs. Four jobs. He was only sleeping in the bus. You know, at the front he's sleeping and then he wake up, he wants to do another job in the evening, he sleep. He reached 40,000 pounds and on that day he was found dead in the bus. The money Living, futility, vanity. Closing question. Since times are not hidden from the Almighty, why do those who know God see not his days? It's a question in Job 24 verse 1. Time is not hidden before God. He is eternal. But those who believe him, who know that he is eternal, who know that he has foretold the last days and what will happen, the Bible asks this question. Why do those who know God see not his days, the days in which we live? Why are we lacking discernment? Job 24 verse 1. In the last days, People will be lovers of money. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father, we bless you. And we say thank you, Lord, for the grace you've given us, Lord, to share these things in your name. These things, Lord, have uh, a building grace to make us wise for God and to live for him, through him and unto him, to eagerly wait from heaven his blessed appearing, the parousia. Lord, we bless you and we are blessed because these things hidden to the wise of this world yet revealed to us that we may lead wisely a wise life before you. We give you praise and glory and commit to you, Lord, this congregation and anyone who has been here this morning, we pray that, Lord, you bless our hearts. We pray that you continue to reveal your son to us that we may live accordingly. We pray, Lord, for anyone, Lord, permanent, Lord, attendee or visitor who has not been reconciled with you, we pray, Lord, that the heart will be open, that you will continue, Lord, to save life. 
We pray that, Lord, in your mercy, this world will not just fall in a stony, in a thorny, in a dry land, but, Lord, that you will bring increase in hearts. And that, Lord, we will live, work, and practice these things unto your glory. We give you praise and glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.